Hi, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Everyday Colloquies. I am your conversationalist, Chantel. Everyday Colloquies is something that has been brewing for quite some time, but I kept putting it off because it's just so darn easy to self-sabotage. But I finally made a few moves, and I really wasn't set to launch for another month, but the climate of our nation forced me to move that timeline up. I was about seven years old when we moved to America and lived next door to a white family. They had a daughter around my age, and naturally we became friends. So one day she stops by to ask if I'd like to come over to her house to go swimming. Now, my mom knew damn well that I did not know how to swim, so I'm not sure why she agreed to it, but my friend went on home to change. I did the same and made my way over to her house. She's wearing a two-piece beneath a large t-shirt that I'm assuming is her dad's based off of the cut and the size. So as we make our way to the back door, her brother darts around a corner pulls her by the arm into the bedroom as she's screaming and trying to slap him off of her and I can hear him yelling at her telling her that she needs to change. Now I'm assuming he meant her two-piece bathing suit but when she re-emerged she had on the same bathing suit but a different t-shirt. She walks up to me and she says I'm sorry for wearing that t-shirt. Young naive me responded That's okay, it didn't bother me, because in that moment, I could not for the life of me understand why her brother got so worked up about wearing her dad's shirt with some random flag on it. But at 14, 15 years old, her brother knew. But what really got me as I thought about this story later is her brother wasn't upset with her for wearing the shirt because he thought or knew that it was wrong. He was upset with her for choosing to wear the shirt that day in front of a black girl. Now, I realize that people can change and to give her the benefit of the doubt, okay, rather to confirm what I already knew, I looked her up on social media a while back and she has changed. She is no longer just a product of her environment. She has made a conscious effort and decision to be a proud racist. With things the way that they are, it has forced me to think back. I can recall the day that a guy brought a noose to school as he jokingly made a gesture towards me and a principal saw. The principal laughingly pulls him aside and says to him, you better put that away. Or the time when I had a crush on a little white boy at school and one girl commented, it's okay to like him, but y'all can't be together because it's just not right. He's white and you're black. The countless conversations I've had with white folks that started something like this. I'm not racist, but public service announcement, you're a racist, or the many chats with white girlfriends who chose to go against the grain and date a black guy, knowingly that it would never work out because, well, can't take him home. 
You want to know how to find out if a family is really racist? Try to marry or date their child. Because they will literally give you the shirt off of their back. If you're in need, they will take your name to their church and raise funds for you. But don't you for a minute think that that means you're their equal. That subtle racism that you can't always see on the surface, but sadly permeates so many white American families and is passed down from generation to generation. As I scroll through the headline news the day of George Floyd's murder, I saw that yet again another unarmed black man had been killed. Was I surprised? Hell no. I thought to myself, here we go again. A statement indicating that something has been repeated over and over and over again. It took me two whole days before I could bring myself to watch the video in its entirety. Two days before I was able to watch the video of a white officer kneel on the neck of a black man Who could have been my father, my brother, my cousin, my uncle, a nephew, a child? But choose to kneel on his neck for nearly nine minutes as he gasped for air, pleaded for his life, and said, I can't breathe. Now, as a nurse, those words hit me so hard. Imagine I enter a patient's room and they say to me, I can't breathe. Immediately, I'm springing into action. I'm grabbing an incentive spirometer to check your oxygen saturation while at least applying a nasal cannula and checking the rest of your vitals. But hypothetically speaking, even if I chose to ignore this person's cry for help, if there was a family member in the room or even someone walking by, I would be hard-pressed to think that they would just stand there with their hands in their pocket, and not do a thing. I've written multiple narratives about this, and as I sat there typing up notes, I was experiencing so many emotions. But there was one predominant emotion that was louder than the others, and it was anger. I was angry because while George Floyd lied there in the prone position, not one of the other officers chose to intervene. Angry because it's been 400 plus fucking years that blacks have been in America. And when I scroll through the news, we're still making headlines for being the first in our race to accomplish something because it isn't the norm. And I was angry as I got dressed to go out in March because, to be honest, it wasn't something that I wanted to do, but something that I had to do. But as I was marching beside my brothers and sisters, I looked around the crowd and realized that there was an obvious racial disparity among participants. Our white allies outnumbered us, at least on that day. But I continued to look around and saw not only our white allies, but our Asian allies, our Spanish allies, and indigenous allies marching with us. Out of such a treacherous act sprung forth something magnificently beautiful and powerful. 
The global impact that this has caused, as I see the uprising of people from the Middle East, Europe, the Caribbean, Asia, and Africa stand up, I realize that that's something to be celebrated. That gives me hope. C.S. Lewis said, You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. And I see those changes being made. This has forced states to look at alternative methods of intervention and place microscopic scrutiny between interactions of police officers and the community members which they have sworn to serve and protect. But even beyond that, it has caused an uprising of people of all backgrounds to hold each other accountable for our actions, our words, and our intentions. President Barack Obama once said, Change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. It is up to we, the people, to make sure that change is implemented. It is our human responsibility. I know all too well how overwhelming all of this can be. As a black female, I find myself having to step back and do self-care so as not to drown in the sea of information and emotions. As I continue to process the intricacies of systemic oppression alongside you, I hope that you will continue to fight the good fight. Keep listening, keep learning, keep marching. Continue to demand change to help fight the injustices against black lives and other people of color. Because as our former pioneer once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Together, we are stronger. So don't feel guilty if you need to step back and take a breather, do some self-care, and when you return, we'll be right here to pick up where you left off. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Everyday Colloquies. I hope this message has been uplifting and encouraging. Please share and subscribe. Search Everyday Colloquies on your social media platforms. And I'll see you all next week.